As we move full speed ahead towards Christmas, we're getting closer and closer to the Rose Bowl. At the time this podcast drops, we are only 12 days away from Oklahoma and Georgia kicking off in Pasadena for all the Roses. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, though, I did want to say one thing. Typically, during this time of year, I like to take stock of the things that truly make me happy in this life and make sure that I give those things their proper due. So I'd be remiss if I did not give a personal thank you to everyone who has tuned into West of Everest over the course of this season. As many of you can relate, I'm sure, Oklahoma Sooner football has truly been a blessing in my life. It's not often that something as trivial as a college football team can have such an impact on an individual. The fact that there's so many of you that tune in twice a week to listen to my brother and I talk about my favorite thing means the world to me. Here at West of Everest, we sincerely hope you and yours is having a wonderful holiday season. We really do. All right, now down to business. Lee and I have enjoyed what little time we've had off from the podcast these last two weeks, but I believe I'm speaking for both of us when I say that I'm certainly ready to return to our normal schedule so we can begin breaking down this historical Rose Bowl matchup. We've been reading lots of analysis, watching as much Georgia as humanly possible, and preparing ourselves for what we think will be an incredible lineup of shows next week leading up to the Tournament of Roses. Hey, we also got a great show for you today as well. We'll be breaking down all the news from the last week, we'll give you guys a bit of a taste of OU Georgia talk, and we'll probably make some fun of some unfortunately named bowl games. I know it's felt like forever, but I promise you we're almost there. Until then, I hope visions of Baker Mayfield stiff arms, Hollywood Brown juke moves, and Trey Young's jump shot dance in your heads. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Mayfield to throw it, pump fake. Guns it over the middle and caught by Hollywood Brown, still running. Hollywood Brown, all the way. Touchdown, Oklahoma, 84 yards. Are you kidding me? Mayfield's going to be patient here, and his eyes are going to go on this side, and what you're going to finally see is that Brown waits, 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 and then he turns on the Jets. Once he turns on the Jets, it was over. That dude can fly. Marquise Brown propels us into another edition of West of Everest. His 84-yard catch-and-run touchdown gave the Sooners a 28-17 lead in Bedlam back in November. Of course, OU went on to win what was easily the most stressful game of the season to date, 62-52, and I'll explain why we use that play for today's intro here in a moment. But first, let me introduce myself. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the start. We'll bring him back here in a moment. And once again, this is West of Everest. If you're unfamiliar with the show, basically we talk OU football, and it's not a complete homer look at the Sooners. We try and be fair and practical based on what we're seeing on the field. And so far in 2017, what we've seen on the field has been pretty good for the most part. Before we get into the meat of the show, let me remind you that West of Everest is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you like the show, it would be awesome if you took the time to give us a rating on iTunes. And if you've got even more time, it would also be awesome if you wrote a review of the show. But either way, we really appreciate you guys listening. Also, if you've got a question for us or a comment, email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com. If you've got a question or a comment, we may use it on the show. 
Okay, let me bring back Grant. And instead of having you guess, Grant, why I used that Marquise Brown touchdown for the intro, I'll just go ahead and tell you why. That play from the Bedlam game will be the play I discuss in this week's film time with Lee. And the reason I wanted to use that play is because based on a couple of games I've watched of Georgia's defense so far, that play from Oklahoma's offense in the Bedlam game is a play with concept and design that I think could work well against the Bulldogs in the Rose Bowl. So stay tuned for film time with Lee. I really look forward to you breaking down Marquise Brown, how fast he is, stride for stride. That's what you're going to do, right? It's going to be like a biological look at how fast he is. Yeah, I got a, uh, I got a, a, a timer. I got a stopwatch. We uh, will break down what his 40 speed is for all 84 of those yards. So from the first 42 yards and the second 42 yards, we'll, we'll discuss how fast his 40 was. Yeah, that's, that's what it will be. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you're serious? Uh-huh. Yeah, because that's how you break down film, right? You just talk about speed because speed kills. Oh, he's kidding. Okay. But seriously, though, I mean, let's let's actually go back to that play for a second. I, I, I do want to go to the to the TV broadcast of it. But the, Joel Klatt's call of that or I mean, obviously, it was it was Gus Johnson's call. But the part where where uh, Joel Klatt says that dude can fly. That part's awesome. That's one of my favorite broadcaster moments of the season. Yeah, it seemed like Klatt and Gus Johnson did quite a few OU games this year. I'm sure they're going to be disappointed that they, they don't get to call the Rose Bowl. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Even though, even though, obviously, it, you're not supposed to have any sort of bias. You can tell that, especially Joel Klatt's definitely biased towards the Big Twelve and Oklahoma in general. So you know that he he would love to call that OU Georgia game. And if it if it starts to go OU's way, if the game ends up going the Sooners' way, just think about how how uh, his tone would be calling that game. Klatt. I mean, I mean, we're not going to get to experience that, but uh, you know. That would be something to behold if you're uh, an Oklahoma supporter, but alas, we're not going to get that. I'm assuming Gus just really thinks that it's just it's probably just fun to watch the Sooners. I mean, he gets to he gets to make a bunch of really fun calls, so it yeah. makes sense, right? A lot of scoring. Well, last week we talked about some of the podcast stats. You know, which episodes have been the most listened to, which cities, countries, things like that. Well, I have a follow up to all of those stats. Last week's episode, which was episode 31, How Good is Georgia's Offense? Depends on who you ask. That episode is already our second most listened to show. So West of Everest is surging right now, and we can't thank you all enough for listening into the show. Pretty amazing, huh? And honestly, I, the last time I checked that grant was earlier today. We're recording this Tuesday night. So by now, honestly, it, it could be the most listened to if, if more people have listened to it since I last checked this morning. That's a very pleasant surprise, especially with our kind of our altered schedule for this bull buy. That's that's very, very encouraging to hear. So so once again, just to echo what I said in my opening take, just thank you so much for 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 continuing to listen. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was I was a little concerned about the bull buy because I think everybody just kind of gets lulled into a, you know, to to sleep, really, because it's it's so boring just kind of waiting for the game to come. Um, so so it's really nice that, that you guys uh, tuned in last week to the show. It really means a lot. Well, talking to my coworker Brett, who listens to every episode, so thanks again, Brett. He brought it up to me. He said, hey, right now is a dead time in college football talk, discussion, podcast. So I think that's a big reason why the last episode has gotten so much play is because there's not a whole lot of new content right now. And a lot of people want to listen to new Oklahoma, Georgia-themed content. And I'd like to think that you and I are providing that. And we have a lot more stuff to talk about in this episode. 
I'm going to break down again that Marquise Brown play to talk about how that pertains to Georgia. And also, I have a ton of thoughts on Georgia's game this year against Mississippi State, which was played earlier than that Missouri game, which if you missed the Missouri talk last episode, go back and listen to that one. I talked about that Georgia-Missouri game a lot, and Grant and I disagreed quite a bit on the Georgia offense. So we'll see if, if our discussions are similar this week or if they've changed. But lots more Oklahoma-Georgia talk, lots more Rose Bowl talk, and let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. So first, we'll start with kind of the new news since our last episode it's been a week and let's start with Rodney Anderson we started with him last time at, the, at this point of the show and the newest developments in the Rodney Anderson situation is that there are no charges that will be filed against Rodney Anderson and also on Monday the VPO the victim protective order was officially dismissed against Rodney Anderson and last week before the news came out that no charges would be filed against Rodney Anderson, Lincoln Riley was asked about Anderson, and Riley said that Anderson is still fully on the team. And again, we are recording this on Tuesday night. Lincoln Riley will have a press conference Wednesday. So by the time you listen to this show, you may have already heard Lincoln Riley's presser because it's going to be at 4.30 Wednesday on the early signing day. And, and I'm sure he will be asked again about Rodney Anderson. So we don't have the latest developments on what Lincoln Riley thinks about Rodney Anderson being cleared of charges. But the latest Lincoln Riley take is that Anderson's still fully on the team. And honestly, Grant, uh, uh, one more note also, too. Uh, again, I, if you're unfamiliar with the show, I work at News 9, KWTV in Oklahoma City, the local CBS station in the sports department there. And I've talked to a couple of the, my coworkers, uh, the news journalists, and they've made calls. A couple of the reporters have made calls to Oklahoma's Title IX office. And the latest we have from there is that the Title IX office will not say, well, they will neither confirm nor deny, or, or they will neither confirm or deny that an investigation into Anderson is taking place right now. So, that's the latest information we have as far as Title IX goes. And I bring that up, Grant, and you can fall, you can help me out with this. That seems to be the last hurdle, potential hurdle, if you will, of Rodney Anderson's availability for the Rose Bowl is will Title IX somehow step in and have an investigation and prevent him from playing? Is that what is that what kind of what you think at this point? Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, although I think it, it definitely is trending more towards him playing. Um, this reminds me of, I'm in Minnesota. I actually graduated from the University of Minnesota. Last year, they had a, a situation not similar to this, but kind of with a Title IX office. And there was a lot of, if, if you remember, the, the Minnesota football team threatened to you know, boycott the Holiday Bowl last year. Um, but it, there, there were some Title IX issues there. And that was kind of the controversy was that the, the Title IX office there would not confirm or deny what they were doing or, or who was under investigation or who was in trouble. So it's, it's, it's just it's a very kind of secret type deal. And I'm sure there's perfectly good reasons for that. So um, but yeah, like you said, that is kind of the last hurdle. But as of right now, based off of kind of the information that's come out, it, it, it's, it's looking pretty good for him playing. Um, outside of that, I, I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't want to don't want to get you know too deep into it, but it's it's looking good as of right now for him playing. Yeah, I agree. And and the VPO being dismissed is is big because really there's there's that that was kind of the last legal thing. Sorry for the the lack of a better word that that was kind of still up against Rodney Anderson. Uh, again, you may remember that on the 18th, so that would have been Monday. There was supposed to be uh, a meeting in front of a judge 
that the VPO originally had listed. But now since that was dismissed on Monday, that never happened. So all of the legal ramifications against Rodney Anderson have all gone away. Uh, and now the only again, the only kind of potential hurdle is will Title IX do something? Uh, we don't know that yet. So um, one other note, though, on Rodney Anderson, too, and this probably means nothing, but on Thursday of last week, so it would have been the day after our last episode released, whenever Lincoln Riley talked about Rodney Anderson and said he was still fully on the team, Riley did mention that Anderson did miss practice, the first bowl practice, and he didn't say it, he didn't say it was because he was off the team, obviously, because he said he was still on the team. He said he missed the practice because he was still kind of trying to recover, so maybe he was kind of banged up. So hopefully he doesn't have any sort of uh, physical issues as well. But uh, as far as last Thursday, Anderson had not practiced yet for the bowl game. But again, almost a week has passed since then. So uh, there's a chance that he has been on the field practicing with the Sooners. So just one more little nugget that I wanted to throw in. Yeah, and I don't I don't recall any sort of injury that really occurred. So I, I would guess it's probably just a lingering thing that, you know, he's, he's maybe just sitting out and maybe it was a day where it just didn't feel great. So they, they were just being safe and uh, just just held him out. So at least that that's you know that's what I would like to believe. And obviously I have no inside information about this, but it, it would seem sort of odd that he really hasn't had any injury concerns all year, and then and then this pops up. But you know I, I'm sure we'll get more information on it um, you know, with the press conference today with Lincoln Riley. So moving on from Rodney Anderson, the other the big news of the week is December 20th, Wednesday today. As you're listening to this, the is early signing day which has been it's the first time that's happened. And again, we were recording this Tuesday night, so we do not have any information on who was who has officially signed with Oklahoma. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, there's probably going to be news out. A lot of Oklahoma signees have already put their signature on the dotted line of their national letters of intent. This is a podcast so far and Grant and I have very briefly touched on this. We we don't discuss recruiting a whole lot, especially cuz the season's going on right in the middle of the year. We're talking about the games. We're talking about who's on the field right now for Oklahoma. But with the early signing period happening randomly early, we figured we'd just touch on it today. And if you have any notes or thoughts, Grant, on it that you'd like to share, go for it. I honestly don't really have much. If anything, I don't have anything. I'll be I'll be frank. I, I don't have anything to really discuss. I'm kind of waiting to see more who does sign on Wednesday to have more thoughts on it. So um, I'll open the floor to you in case you have any other thoughts prior to what we see happen on Wednesday. I, I do have some notes, and we're just going to quickly run through it. I'm not going to I'm not going to stand here in grandstand and say that I'm a, I'm a recruiting expert or anything like that. You know, I I, I do follow recruiting. I, I I very rarely talk about it because I honestly I'm just not. I, I don't I don't particularly trust my my skills of uh, of evaluating high school talent because there's just there's so many spectrums and talent levels uh, you know the competition of what you're going against so I, I try to stay out of that and I I let the professionals do all the work. Um, having that been said, you know I I, I do read around and, and I do follow a lot of the recruiting just because recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. You know that's that's how you win championships right there. Or at least that's how you start to win championships. Um, so so really I. Like Lee said, when you're listening to this, um, pretty much everything that's going to happen on signing day probably already has happened. So what we're expecting, this is on Tuesday night, um, from what I've read, we're, we're expecting the Sooners to sign a majority of their class tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. 
Um, and, and I mean like a majority of them. So about 75 or 80% of them. And, and that's, that's possibly really significant, especially with this new early signing period. It's kind of a different thing. A lot of coaches, they're just kind of feeling it out. They're not exactly sure how to, how to deal with it, especially with these playoff teams. I think it's a little weird. You know, they're, they're sitting here, they're preparing for a playoff game and they also have to do this, this, you know, the big signing day kind of right in the middle of preparation. I, I'm, I'm sure that that throws a wrench into a lot of things, but luckily everyone's dealing with it. So it's a level playing field. So why it's important, why they're going to have a majority of their class wrapped up. It's because, you know, later on, especially after the season, they can put the full court press on their remaining targets. Um, knowing they already got some of these guys locked up, and I'm not saying they're not they're going to stop talking to the guys who already signed. That's that's you know not true at all. But there just seems to be a lot of advantages to getting a, a majority of your class signed right now, especially because those kids can be locked in. They can start recruiting the other guys to the program. Um, so w- when I when I heard that they really are expecting uh, a majority of their class to sign, I thought that was that was something that was very big, and also especially just because of. Uh, preparing for the Rose Bowl and and uh, the playoff as well. So, just some notables I want to throw out there. Uh, one of the kind of the big surprises he, he announced um, that he was gonna that that he was gonna sign uh, early is Ronnie Perkins, a defensive end, a four star defensive end from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it had kind of been conventional wisdom throughout his entire recruiting process that he was not going to sign early. And I think it was last week he came out or this past weekend he came out and said that he was indeed going to sign early. That's a big get. Ronnie Perkins was a guy that they were that they were after and they went after hard the entire recruiting process. That was a big recruiting win uh, for, for Lincoln Riley and his staff. Also want to mention Bray Walker, the Southmore offensive tackle. He's just a mammoth human being. I think he's their high. Westmore. Is, is it Westmore? What did I say? Yeah. Did I, say, did I say Southmark? I apologize to all to, to the Oklahoma people <laughs> listening. That's that's my fault. Um, and then I think also, he actually may have transferred at some point. Yeah, I, have, uh, I, I, so I think I heard maybe that. Maybe he too. was at Southmore at some point. Yep. And then there's uh, the, there, there's two other Oklahoma kids, Jalen Redmond, Tremond Moore. I, I those guys I'm pretty excited for. We know that they're we know all four of those guys are going to be signing tomorrow. Um, look, if if you want to look for some sort of surprise tomorrow, keep your eye out um, for. Uh, UCLA commit Abdul Malik McLean. He's a defensive end. He's a very long, athletic guy. Uh, he's been trending towards the Sooners for a while now, and there's uh, there's some rumblings that he's going to sign with OU tomorrow. So so look out for that. He's currently committed to UCLA, uh, but he might be a big get for Calvin Thibodeau and um, and uh, geez, who's who's the other defensive line coach? Lee, I, what, Ruffin McNeil. Geez, I can't even. Um, <laughs> Uh, another one that, that I think people that caught people's eye uh, a, a month or so ago when he came and visited was five-star defensive end Micah Parsons. Uh, he, he's a top 10 recruit in the country. He's a defensive end. Um, the Sooners were kind of trying to to sell him on playing both ways. If, if you know, I, I think I think the Sooners impressed him, but he was always kind of considered a massive Penn State lean. So if if for whatever reason he were to sign on the dotted line for the Sooners tomorrow, that would be a huge upset, a huge get. Don't expect it, but you know if, if you were holding out hope for Micah Parsons, don't. Uh, he's going to go to Penn State. Um, and then also one final thought: uh, one of the big, uh, one of the big targets of this entire recruiting cycle was Owasso safety Josh Proctor. Uh, he has announced uh, that he is going to sign on Wednesday with Ohio State. So. Uh, the Sooners are going to miss out on on an in-state four-star prospect, which which does hurt. Uh, but you know, sometimes kids just just get it in their head that they want to go out of state, um, and they just fall in love with the school, and that happens. So uh, you know, you wish Josh luck. That's fine. Um, you know, other than that, Lee, I think it. Hopefully, I hopefully they're expecting just a, a nice, calm, 
or not a calm day, but uh, a day where there's not a lot of surprises and everybody gets their, you know, their national letters of intent faxed in early in the morning and have it all wrapped up by noon, hopefully. Did you mention the defensive ends, Ron Tatum and Jalen Redmond? I, I mentioned Jalen Redmond. I didn't, I didn't mention Ron Tatum. I wasn't able to confirm whether or not he was for sure going to sign tomorrow. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. He is. So, so both, yeah, both will sign with OU tomorrow. Redmond will sign at Midwest city. Uh, again, by I, we're saying tomorrow we're 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 doing this on Tuesday night. So by the time, so basically, we'll say today. Uh, Jalen Redmond will sign today, and uh, Ron Tatum will also sign today, and he'll be doing that in the evening time. So both those guys will be on OU, and also too, I I know one other player who will sign in their class is four star guy out of Rockdale, Texas, Jaqueline Jaqu- Crawford. He will sign tomorrow as well, or he will sign Wednesday as well. I'll just say Wednesday, and he's a. Uh, He's a talented player. Uh, I, I saw him play a little bit when I was covering Texas A&M and College Station, and we covered a lot of high school football down there in Texas. He's fast. He's really good. bit undersized, but as we've seen from Marquise Brown as a wide receiver, sizes and everything. And, and Jaqueline Crawford's a good get for Oklahoma, so he's supposed to sign as well on Wednesday. So those are the three players that I know for sure will be signing, and that's all, all the information that I kind of know at this point. Just kind of add what to add to add what you to to add to what you said, and already j- just to just to mention it one more time, they are expecting to sign a majority of their class. I'm talking 17, 18, 19, maybe 20 kids tomorrow, which would be huge. Um, and so I, I do want to go. You you mentioned Ron Tatum. That one's kind of sweet because he was an original Texas commit. So it's it's always good to flip someone like that. Uh, which is nice. And then Jalen Redmond is a he was kind of a late bloomer. And do, do you know where Jalen Redmond plays, Lee? Yeah, Midwest City. He plays at Midwest City. I've seen I've seen tape of him. He's he he might be the next great OU defensive end. He's he's, he's a very big. He's a freak. He's a of large an human, but so he's is Ron f- Tatum. Yeah, uh, th- th- he. Uh, th- this is a. I think this is a sneaky good uh, Oklahoma class. There's some good players in Oklahoma. Um, there was another guy, another a defensive tackle. I think Jordan Kelly. Uh, he plays. Uh, he plays at Union, right? With with Patrick Fields, I think they're both signing tomorrow. I believe um, he's he's okay. a he's a mammoth human being, and he he impressed me when I saw him play. So I think he's a he's a three star guy who I think might be a little uh, a little underrated, but he he's a big dude. There's a lot of beef in that guy. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, and uh, Oklahoma. We'll we'll see how Lincoln Riley does in his first his first recruiting class. It should be interesting. And then again, we'll see. I mean, this is just the early part. Then it'll happen again in early February. And yeah, this is this is going to be a top ten class. This is going to be another really good class for OU. Um, And then, you know, they're going to build on the momentum of of back to back top ten classes. And then look for for next year's class, the 2019 class. Uh, Honestly, look for that one to compete for the number one class in the country because they're they're off to a really hot start there, and they're in on some. Uh, they're on. They're in on some five-star receivers who are who are really high um, on the Sooners. So that 2019 class might be pretty nasty. All right, let's switch gears now to Rose Bowl talk. And the last episode, I think we went about 35 to 40 straight minutes talking to OU Georgia, which is awesome. I don't know if we will get to 40 minutes again today, but we might. We might. So let's give it a shot. So first off. I'll tell you, Grant, my main thoughts today will be coming from the Georgia-Mississippi State game, which happened on September 23rd in Athens. 
And the reason I wanted to watch that game is because Mississippi State, although their offense wasn't that highly rated, going into that game, Mississippi State looked like they were going to be one of the best teams in the country, if you remember right. They were unbeaten. They had just blown out LSU, and it looked like Mississippi State was going to be very good. And, you know, Nick Fitzgerald has the ability to, to, to run and throw a little bit, and I just I wanted to see how – and that offense isn't just a generic boring offense. It's more kind of like spread, but a lot more running. Uh, as, as opposed to, of course, Missouri's offense, who's more spread pass. But I wanted to see how Georgia fa- you know, played against Mississippi State. So that's why I took a look at that game. Before I get into that, though, what are your thoughts? Do you have any new thoughts on Georgia, or do you want me to start with uh, my Georgia-Mississippi State discussion? Do you remember – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my first thought, actually, on Mississippi State, ironically enough. Do you remember uh, Colin Klein from Kansas State? Yeah. Nick Fitzgerald and Colin Klein are the exact same player. I, I'm actually, I'm actually convinced they are the same person. Yeah, I can Do, see that. Yeah, like they're they're both like not good, but they are. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, Fitzgerald like, in that one game, he came off as a as a pretty limited thrower over the football. Just like Colin Klein was, you know, a majority of the time. Uh, but to get back on track, Lee, you did mention that most of your thoughts are going to come from that Mississippi State game. Most of my thoughts today, Lee, are going to come from the Notre Dame game, which was uh, which was very early on in the season, the same week that OU played Ohio State. Um, I, I noticed a lot of interesting things about that game. So I, I don't know who, who wants to. Do you want to start, or, or should I start? Go ahead and start since your game was earlier. And and I just will say this, I'm. I have not watched that game yet, and I think I touched on it briefly last episode. I'm not sure how much that game's going to tell us because it happened so long ago. But you tell me. I mean, you watched it. Is is there going to be some some things we can take away from that game? I, I think so. Maybe a little bit tendency stuff, and I'm and I'm sure I'll be able to you know let it jive with you know when I watch a little more of them. Um, but first off, I, I do just I, I want to make a correction just regarding a comment I made last week. Um, at least I think it was last week, but it was in regards to Notre Dame's pass protection in that game. Um, I had said that Notre Dame's offensive line uh, dominated in that game and uh, in pass protection. Um, I, I do want to copy something. I only did watch the first half um, of that game in which Notre Dame's offensive line absolutely was dominant in pass protection. They didn't. Georgia did not touch Brandon Wimbush and honestly didn't even get close to him. Uh, there really were times where Notre Dame's offensive line looked dominant in that game. Uh, the second half was was a different story. The Notre Dame just didn't particularly play very well on the offensive line in the second half, and especially in the fourth quarter, Georgia started to get to Brandon Wimbush, uh, sacked him three times actually in the in the fourth quarter. So I wanted to make a correction there, just in case there's any Georgia fans listening and they're like, "Geez, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about." We 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 sacked <laughs> Brandon Wimbush, so I did want to make the correction there. Um, Georgia's pass rush it looked pretty good in the fourth quarter uh, of that game against Notre Dame. Um, so really the thing that, that jumps off the screen with me when I watch, uh, and I'm, I'm talking about Georgia's defense here, uh, their linebackers are incredibly aggressive. So aggressive. Um, and maybe this, maybe this was just a Notre Dame thing. Um, it, it, it could have had everything to do with Georgia giving zero respect to Brandon, uh, Brandon Wimbush being able to complete forward passes. I think maybe that has a lot to do with it. Uh, but just if, if anybody wants to go back and watch, there's a YouTube video. That's it's a 30 minute condensed, uh, game with Georgia and Notre Dame. It just shows every single play bang, bang, bang like that. And just watch Georgia's linebackers and how, how quickly and aggressively they attack the run lanes. Um, 
it's just when I was watching it, my mouth started watering just thinking of RPOs and play action and and all of this stuff that OU likes to do with misdirection and, and getting you to think. I think that might play right into Lincoln Riley's hands. So I, I and that's um, not to say that's not they're they're aggressive and they're good. So I I am just saying though that aggressiveness could play just right into what OU wants to do. Um, and especially, you know, their linebackers are aggressive, they're fast, but OU's really fast too on offense. So, um, anyway, watching that in terms of offense for Georgia, uh, Notre Dame actually did a pretty good job defending them. There really wasn't a lot. Um, go back to, to, um, to advanced analytics in that game. Uh, Georgia only had a 29% success rate in that game. That's not good. Uh, so so Notre Dame really did limit them on offense for the most part. Georgia did have to earn pretty much everything they got. There was a couple pl- there's a couple just really amazing catches um, in that game by Georgia. Um, anywho, w- w- one of the reasons why Notre Dame was so successful on defense is they tackled really well in space. Um, and it, Georgia's going to force you to do that because they attack the edges a lot. Uh, they did that against Notre Dame. It didn't really work as as much as it has, you know, the rest of the year for Georgia, uh, just because Notre Dame tackled so well in space. But I, I got to tell you, I'm still in the camp of Georgia's offense is scaring the hell out of me. I, I, I I'm just... I, I watch them more, and there, there's just a lot of misinformation going going around about them throughout our fan base. This is not your typical slow it down, just um, just line up in the I formation, pound the rock, you know, cliched SEC team that I think everyone has in their minds. This is a team that is basically never under center. They they spread you out and they run the ball. Um, they don't huddle. They're they're a no huddle team. Um, not that they necessarily go fast, but they don't. Uh, they don't huddle, so this is a. I, I would say this is this is a team that kind of their offense looks a lot like. Um, I would say kind of the the Pat White West Virginia days without the running quarterback element. Um, a, a lot of stuff on the edge, getting the ball into your running back's hands, um, taking advantage of one on one coverage on uh, on the edge with your receivers, and and a lot of good athletes too. So I just I, I keep watching them, and and I just. I have nightmares of them just uh, just running at Emmanuel Beal to death on the edge, and I get scared. And so, I because I, um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm sure the Sooners are gonna are gonna load the box. I think that's probably the best way to stop them and force Fromm to beat you. But uh, still, and we'll, we'll go into it, to it more next week. And I'm sure I'll have comments with, with um, you know when when you talk. Uh, but. Still, Georgia's offense is, is, is going to present quite the challenge for OU's defense, which, as I've mentioned many times before, I, I realize that they, that they played well uh, in you know, the last month of the season after the Oklahoma State game. I still have zero confidence in this defense. I, I just don't. That's just me being honest. And I, it's my personal opinion that if you, do have, if you do have confidence in them, you're being foolish. You're being foolish. Um, so, anyway, I'm, one th- Go ahead, Lee. I'm, I'm looking at the at the box score of that that Georgia Notre Dame game and looking at Jake Fromm's line and his line didn't look very good. No, so Fromm my question wasn't is, great in is, the game. He wasn't great. So did you notice? From what I've noticed now, watching him play in two games, and you know, you might be listening, thinking only two games. You've only watched two games after all this time. Well, yeah, I, I have. I I don't see any sort of value in going back and watching. Georgia beat the crap out of Tennessee going back and watching Georgia beat the crap out of Kentucky I just don't those are bad teams 
those are bad teams. That's like you know, I, I don't see any value in Georgia going back and watching Oklahoma. I don't know, beating the beating the crap out of Tulane or beating the crap out of. Nah, I mean, oh, you played more close games than they needed to <laughs> this year, but uh, so, anyways, so you know, in two games to get back to my point about Jake Fromm, I, I have noticed that it looks like he decides a lot of the time pre-snap where he wants to go with the football. He's like a one read kind of guy. Did you pick up on that at all? Were you watching close enough that he, game to kind of to do to, to see that? So in the Notre Dame game, and you you do have to we do have to say this. This was his very first start ever was on the road at Notre Dame. So this was the first game he really he really played a lot in. And yes, he was he was absolutely a one read guy, one hundred percent. He did not go through his progressions whatsoever, which is exactly how you know what I would expect for a true freshman making his very first start on the road in South Bend. So uh, sure, he, sure. yeah, but having that been said, you know, he, he made some decent throws. He, he made a couple decent throws. Um, and we, Jake Fromm has, has put, you know, a, a much better play on film. So I'm not, I wasn't really judging Jake Fromm based off of his very first college start on the road at Notre Dame. Um, other than he's got arm talent. He does. Uh, it's, it's pretty obvious when you watch him. Um, one other thing Lee that, that I did want to mention, and, um, I, I, I think I've, I think I've watched a little bit more George than you have. I've probably watched half of their games. Um, one of the underrated storylines going into this game, and I think it's, and we're not going to hear it at all leading up to it because you know you really are going to hear a lot of the you know the SEC uh, chess bumping, um, and I don't want to get into any of that garbage. But but still, the underrated storyline of this game that I'm that I'm pretty convinced of, Lee Oklahoma is better than Georgia in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They are. And, and I think hmm. I, I, that's a good omen. Uh, they really are better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I, I, I think Oklahoma has a distinct advantage on offense uh, with OU's offensive line going up against Georgia's defensive line. Probably a lot of people that would disagree with me. But I, I, I got some stats to back it up, Lee. You guys know I love S&P. I love the analytics. Um, one of my favorite stats that they put out there is adjusted sack rate. And, and what it is, it's basically just sack rate adjusted for your opponents, how good they are. Lee, Georgia is 85th in the country in adjusted sack rate. That will be, they will be the seventh best pass rushing team that OU has played this year. Ohio State, wow. yeah. Ohio State, Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Kansas are all better. Now, I know people are probably surprised about Kansas. Don't be. They have they have they have a couple NFL players on their on their defensive line. Yeah, remember their remember their sack and tackle for loss numbers before they played Kansas that we were going over, like how incredible they were. They were and insane. Yet, and like, yeah, Kansas only had one win on the year and they had just an incredible amount of tackles for loss and sacks. Just <laughs> and so, it makes sense. And so this is this is not me saying that that Georgia's defense is bad or their defensive line is bad. It's it's not quite the contrary at all. They just they they just kind of do what they do. They uh they do run that three four and their jobs are are just to swallow up blockers. That's all. There's no one on the defensive line who is going to consistently uh, penetrate, especially against this OU offensive line. It's not going to happen. Uh, at least based off of what I've seen on film. So, really, the point being here, Lee. Is that unless Georgia goes against what's they what they've done all year, they're not a blitzing team. Um, it, it, unless they go against that and blitz a lot, they may not land it. They might they may not lay a hand on Baker in this game, and I'm I'm serious 
because th- there were times where, you know, in that Notre Dame game, you know, that's the game I'm going off this time, that Brandon Wimbush had all day to throw, and he had just a perfect pocket. So uh, that Georgia defensive line, their job is to swallow up blockers and let uh, Georgia's athletic and, and aggressive linebackers just kind of do what they do. Um, I- I'm still going to say it. OU, they really have an opportunity to be really effective running the ball in this game, and I truly believe that. There's a lot of people, I think the conventional wisdom out there is saying that Georgia's going to be able to take away OU's run game. I say not so fast. I, I think OU might be able to get what they want on the ground in this game, Lee. Yeah, I, that's certainly encouraging thoughts from you, and I, I'm not as um, confident that, that Oklahoma has a huge advantage at offensive line or in the trenches. You know, I, I do think that Oklahoma's offensive line is better than, than, than Georgia's, and that number that you gave is, is pretty, pretty astonishing as far as where they're ranked S&P-wise. And, and, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's important to bring up the fact that Oklahoma has played some pretty good teams this year and actually a couple pretty good defenses. I mean, it's not like they, they haven't faced anybody that's, that's any good. And I go back to the first thing I said, right. Whenever I found out Georgia and Oklahoma were playing Oklahoma's offense has seen a defense kind of like a lot more closely linked or related to Georgia's defense than Georgia's defense has seen compared to Oklahoma's offense. And I think that that's, it's an indisputable stat. It's an indisputable fact. I mean, statistically, that's true. And just eyeball tests, that's true. Because there's no team in the SEC that's even close to as good as Oklahoma's offense. And frankly, there's no team outside of the Big 12, with the exception of maybe, if you want to get real in-depth, maybe Ohio State when they're playing good football. Ohio State's offense is right up there on a good day. But outside of that, I mean, there's no other offenses that can simulate Oklahoma's. So... It's encouraging what you said there. Um, I, I do think I ha- in that Mississippi State game, they did send a little more blitzes than I, I remember them sending against Missouri. They seem to, to be kind of of the delayed variety. And a lot of the times, it may not even really be a blitz now that I was watching it closely. It seems like they like to send a linebacker a couple seconds after the snap if that linebacker sees the running back stay in the block. So it's one of those things where maybe it's kind of like a you know man on man situation, and he sees the running back stay in, and they say, "Go get him, go." So it's not necessarily a true blitz, but it kind of acts like one sometimes. I absolutely love that you just said that because remember that play uh, in the first game against TCU with Rodney Anderson out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. That's exactly like I, OU is is going to be ready for stuff like that. They just are. And I, I think this this offensive line is as good as anybody at calling out protections. So I, I like I said, unless, unless Georgia is able to get really creative with their blitzes, I, I just, I and, and I may be wrong. You know, Georgia may may just absolutely pulverize Baker. I, I doubt it though. I, I really doubt it. I, I don't think they're going to be able to get consistent pressure on him at all. So I, I'm seeing lots of stuff about how. You know, if uh, especially from Georgia fans saying, you know, hey, if we if we get to Baker and we hit him and we hit him, then we can you know we can break him. you're not going to touch them guys I don't think you're going to touch them so well you know why they say that and I mean that's just that's general football thought process you know the more hits you get on a guy the the better off you're going to be because you know the the hits kind of creep into the the guy's mind and that makes total sense and a a reason why they'll say that is that in this Mississippi State game as as I'll transition and talking about that the Georgia defense hit the crap out of Nick Fitzgerald and you know that's partly Mississippi State's fault because they like to run it with him a lot and they like to design a lot of runs with him 
But even on a couple pass plays, there was one play where where Roquan Smith just absolutely destroyed Fitzgerald, and uh, on on a pass play, Fitzgerald got rid of the football right in time before he got absolutely depleted by Smith. And that was really the the one play that stood out on film to me in that game. Uh, I, I think I've been watching the games where Smith hasn't flashed as much as he has in other games because I've seen highlights of him from other games where he looks like, you know, the the All-American that he is. Uh, the couple games I've watched, he hasn't really jumped off film at me. And again, that's Missouri and not Mississippi State. Um, one one player on the Mississippi State, uh, sorry, the Georgia defense really jumped off of the tape against Mississippi State. And that was their corner, DeAndre Baker. And I'll go into more detail on DeAndre Baker here as I get more into these thoughts. But here are my general thoughts on what I saw in that game, and then I'll get more in depth. So in the first quarter of the Georgia-Mississippi State game, which happened on September 23rd, so it happened a while back. It, it was early in the year. Georgia looked like the best team in the nation in that game in the first quarter. Offense, defense, both sides of the football looked pretty elite. Georgia came out, got a three and out on defense, and then the very first play of the game after – they forced Mississippi State to punt. Georgia ran a flea flicker, and Fromm hit Terry Godwin for a long touchdown pass, wide open, easy pitch and catch. Just came out and punched Mississippi State right in the mouth from the get-go, and the crowd was going nuts, and everybody was going crazy, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Mississippi State came into that game ranked number 17 in the country, 3-0, and fresh off of a blowout win over LSU. So you could tell Georgia was jacked, ready to make a statement, super prepared in a night game. And Georgia's defense looked way more physical in that game than they did against Missouri. And that Missouri game happened a few weeks later. The Tigers came in 1-5, not much of a threat to Georgia. So it's it's natural that a team wouldn't take them as seriously as they, they would have taken a 3-0 Mississippi State. So that was my first thought is, Grant, I mean, the first three series of the game, Georgia looked awesome, and and I, I I tweeted out that hey I just watched the first quarter of this game. If if that Georgia team shows up at the Rose Bowl, Oklahoma's going to lose. They are going to lose because Georgia's defense was incredibly physical, and the offense the offense was actually dynamic and kind of unpredictable. And it was it was surprising to me because against Missouri, it was kind of eh. I'm more high. I'm a little more high now on Georgia's offense than I was during our previous podcast. You know, I saw some things in that Mississippi State game that were more than just lining up and overpowering a defense with talent. But I think, uh, you know, here's some examples. So Georgia's offense looked really dynamic. They used a lot of three receiver sets. They also mixed in a lot of two tight end, two running back sets. And remember, you know, previously I said that Georgia doesn't do a whole lot of unique things with its offense. Well. There was, there was more of that. And there was this play in the second quarter where Georgia used a somewhat creative offensive concept to pick up an easy first down that I hadn't seen in that Missouri game. And so it was third and two for Georgia at their own 27-yard line. They came out, trips to the left. Terry Godwin split out to the right. It looks like Mississippi State's in man. They've got defenders up on the line of scrimmage across from all of the eligible receivers. But then Fromm sends the inside slot guy on the trip side, that's tight end Jackson Harris, sent him in motion from left to right. Nobody follows him. So Mississippi State is not in man coverage, and that gives it away right there. So Fromm, he now knows that there isn't a specific guy tethered to Harris. He knows that he's going to have an easy pitch and catch for the first down. So what happens? Godwin runs a go route, 
And Harris, who just crossed the formation in motion, he's now on Godwin's side. He just runs a quick three-yard out route, wide open, makes the grab to move the chains. And, and Fromm was looking at Harris the whole way because he knew that Godwin would clear out the corner and allow Harris plenty of room to make the catch. I mean, that's, that's concepts that Oklahoma uses. I mean, that's, that's any good football offensive team uses those concepts, but I hadn't seen it yet until that play. And it was only a gain of five, but it made me realize, okay, they, they, are, they are more than just turn, hand the ball off, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I don't really know how much I have to say it. Like, you know, what, what the Sooners are up against. I mean, this is, this is a really good team. You know, and this is a team that's 12 and one and, and in 10 of their 12 wins, they've been unbelievably dominant. I mean, they've, they've dominated pretty much everyone. So I, I mean, this is, the Sooners are going to have to play their best game of the year to win this game. They, they, obviously they have a top 10 defense. And, and like I said, I think they have a top 15 offense. So it's, it, it, it's a tall order. It's a tall order. Well, I mean, Alabama's offense is ranked higher than Georgia's, so I don't, I don't know why you keep what, saying anything. In, in total yards, I don't care about total yards, Lee. It, watch the games. Georgia's offense is almost astronomically better than than Alabama's. From no, I don't, I, I still yes, don't buy it just that. it is. It just is. No, I don't. It's not. It still isn't. Uh, I mean, uh, anyways. Moreover, here's here's some more thoughts. Uh, you know. Back to Jake Fromm, and we're talking the offense right now, and, and we'll talk more what the Georgia defense looked like. I did notice that Fromm – I stopped, just to, to be clear, I stopped watching the game about midway through the third quarter. It was 28-3. to three, It was over. So uh, as far as I watched, Fromm basically threw every one of his passes to his first read. So that goes back to what I asked you earlier, which I think that's a useful – that's useful information for Oklahoma – especially the defensive backs, to know that because if the Sooners are in zone and they're reading the eyes of Fromm, chances are he's going to throw the ball to the first place he looks. So granted, Fromm gets away with this quite a bit because he's pretty good pre-snap dissecting what the defense is giving him. I mean, he's good. Therefore, he tends to make the right read pre-snap. Then it works out and, and he makes the right read. But I mean, there was one play in the Missouri game that I talked about last week where he he had the pre-snap read and uh, a linebacker made a nice drop and, and Fromm locked onto his receiver first first read and threw a pick I mean he threw it over the middle and it was picked off by a linebacker who, who read the guys read his eyes and made a nice play so you know I mean maybe there's something there with with Oklahoma being smart reading his eyes and and not you know uh I, I don't know I mean it, it's something but um I mean he's made it work so far this year and, and I'm curious to watch him against Auburn against a defense like Auburn and, and hostile and a, and a hostile territory. And then once again, in the sec title game to see how he adjusted. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And, I, and any- I just, I just want to add to it. Like I, please don't go into this game thinking that this is, that this team is like, you know, analogous to Auburn of last year in the sugar bowl. This Georgia team is way better than that Auburn team. I uh, just way better. So I, everyone pumped the brakes a little bit. Uh, I I think OU I, I think OU can win. I'm not saying that they're they're not going to win, but it's this is not going to be a walk in the park. This is a a very good football team. Well, yeah. Again, I I think Georgia's offense is better today than I thought a week ago, but I'm still not sold on them being as good as you're saying they are. But that being said, I am absolutely terrified of the Wildcat, aka the Wild Dog. And against Mississippi State, I saw one wild dog play, and it went for a 
like 27 yard touchdown run by Nick Chubb. And so here's here's <laughs> picture this in your head. I know if you're probably not watching this, but I, I here's the breakdown of that play. And and as Oklahoma supporters, and we watched every Oklahoma game. This will give you flashbacks to the Kansas State game. So here's what Georgia did. It was they had twins right, one writer, one wide receiver to the left. Up, they had an up back one yard offset to the left of Nick Chubb, who was in the shotgun and, and the wild dog. Mississippi State's defense is in a three four, so they have a lot of players up towards the line of scrimmage in a three four. So Nick Chubb motions the single receiver from the left to the right before the snap. On the snap, that wide receiver who was going in motion comes in, gets a crackback block on the Jack linebacker, probably would be Oboe if it's, it happens in the Oklahoma game. So that guy's out of the play. Then the left tackle pulls, joins the up back around the left side. So at this point, those two guys have responsibility for the cornerback and then the strong safety. And it's basically those two guys and then Nick Chubb with the ball. It's it's over at that point. <laughs> Chubb goes untouched for an easy six six points. And and this just and it was on third and one. I'm not sure how Oklahoma's going to stop this. I, I Georgia might run that every play. Uh, they might come out and run the wild dog every freaking play. I mean, they're not—they're not, not going to do that. But like, would you? Would it be that stupid? Maybe not. <laughs> no, because I—I I think Oklahoma's defense has a decent chance of being somewhat successful against the regular Georgia offense. But I don't—they haven't stopped a wildcat all year. Oklahoma hasn't, and I don't know how they're going to stop the probably the best wildcat in college football, which is Georgia's the, setup. They did in the second half of the Kansas State game. I mean, they adjusted. Yeah, and they, yes, but little, but yeah. actually, but they didn't really adjust. They just played better in the second half. So, I yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, this this ain't Kansas State. This is this is a much more talented team that that's going to be running a lot of the same stuff um, with much better, much more athletic players. So. Um, I, I guess maybe the one good thing is that you don't have, you know, the quarterback run game to worry about from from is pretty much a statue back there. So that is nice. But at the same time, Kyle Kempt was a, was a statue in the pocket, too. And he had the best game in the history of football against this OU defense. So. <laughs> so over to Georgia's defense against Mississippi State. And I noticed throughout watching the film, it looks like they were given a lot of cover two looks. But in actuality, Georgia played a lot of man in that game and I think it was a lot of probably similar to that Notre Dame game that you watched a lot of disrespect for the idea of Mississippi State throwing the football I don't think they thought Fitzgerald could beat them down the field and they were right I mean Nick Fitzgerald only again through the first three and a half quarters that I or two and a half quarters I guess I should say I watched I saw Nick Fitzgerald attempt five passes of 10 yards or more and he actually completed the first one he threw all in the game it was a pretty nice throw over the middle of the field for about I think 20 yards. But after that, he attempted passes kind of down the sideline, you know, gets like back shoulder throws. And then he, he was picked off as well on, on a play where he had no business making a throw. And he just could not stretch the field at all, which did not make Georgia's defense uncomfortable. And, and so Oklahoma certainly can stretch the field. So I think there's not a whole lot of there's not much you can take from that. I don't think, in my opinion, because Oklahoma is going to be able to stretch the field a lot better than Nick Fitzgerald and Mississippi State was going to be able to stretch the field against Georgia's secondary. So, um, I, in that sense, it wasn't a really good test. Uh, I will say though, DeAndre Baker, the corner, really flashed in that game, and he's a player that I'd prefer, at least based on that game, I'd prefer Oklahoma to try to avoid. I'd prefer them to go at the other cornerback, which I can't even think of his name right now, but uh, I think he's like a redshirt junior, sophomore, 
Why, while DeAndre Baker is like a redshirt junior, he's very experienced. He's big bodied guy. I think he's like five eleven. He looks like he's bigger than five eleven, and he he had a lot of really nice coverage plays and and was able to stop the run and had an interception in that game. He was really good. He was the defensive player that really flashed in that Mississippi State game, and I had never heard of the guy until that one. And he he was good. I don't know. I don't know if 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 that if that name popped out to you at all in that Notre Dame game. Did DeAndre Baker do anything in that game? Does that yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, he to you? was there. And so and so I, I do want to say you're totally right about that. They I, I'm assuming they had very similar game plans in the Notre Dame and Mississippi State game. They did not respect Brandon Wibush's ability to pass at all. They were manned up for a majority of that game. Um, and they had eight guys in the box the entire game. So I, they're not going to be able to do that against OU. If they put eight guys in the box, they're going to have a long day. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and speaking of DeAndre Baker, there was just one play from Mississippi State's offense going against Georgia's defense in that game that actually has me worried going into this Rose Bowl, and here's why. It was third and two for Mississippi State at their own 33. They had twins to the right, which was the wide side of the field, Nick Fitzgerald rolls to his right, and he wants to hit his inside slot receiver on a four-yard out route to move the chains, but DeAndre Baker is playing six yards off the the Georgia slot guy at the snap, but he makes a great read, breaks on the four-yard out route, takes it away immediately, and that forces Nick Fitzgerald to throw the ball away. And it, it worries me because Mississippi State had the correct play concept here to pick up the first down. Georgia had their defensive back playing six yards off the ball, and he was still able to take it away. So that was the portion of the game, the first quarter, where Georgia's defense looked like the best in the in the nation. And I, I don't know if that was just they were playing so well. And again, DeAndre Baker is obviously a really good player. But that's something like where I just see like that was the great play by Georgia's defense. And like Oklahoma, I mean, that was the right play concept. Mississippi State did, did everything they were supposed to do. And Georgia just took it away and played better. So when I see things like that, that certainly worries me too because Oklahoma is so creative offensively. But when I see Georgia counteract that with a, a nice defensive play, it makes me think, okay, well, maybe the Oklahoma's offense won't have as much success as I initially thought it might. Well, I mean, yeah, Georgia practices too. They're going to make plays. They, they, <laughs> I mean, they will. It's, that's fine. I mean, they're, they're an athletic team. It's a good defense. They are going to make plays in this game. Um, I, it's, it's just about who makes more. That's really what it's going to be. Let's see. I'm trying to go through all my notes here, make sure I haven't missed anything. Um, yeah, okay, so b- back to Fromm, and that's all the, the defensive notes, too. I mean, really, the, the key was I wanted to p- bring up the fact that Mississippi State just could not stretch the ball, could not stretch the field. Uh, Missouri could. Missouri was able to stretch the field, and they hit on those two long touchdown passes. That was something that Mississippi State didn't even try to do. They didn't even try to throw balls like that. And Missouri Georgia. and Missouri can't stretch the field like OU can. And so you, you had mentioned maybe – I think you had mentioned you when you were comparing other offenses to OU's, and you said maybe Ohio State. I did want to kind of go in there. No one compares to OU this year. It it really is. They are that far ahead of everyone else. And I don't like I and I'm I know I'm kind of you know tapping below my waist here, not to not to jinx anything because I'm just. But seriously, they're they're they they do not have an equal this year in college football or maybe ever in college football i mean so, ou's I, averaging a full yard more per play than the next best team that's a lot everybody so I mean, just that's so incredible you know. yeah i mean yeah I mean, i'm not sure they're averaging the most yards per play team. ever yeah I, ever. I, I think it's ever I, I, i've been trying all year to find stats on that it's really hard to find historical stats on yards per play yeah. and it, the the stats i found go back to like the 1950s 
And going back to the 1950s, Oklahoma is number one. So unless there was like some teams before the 1950s that were just absolutely dominant, which there very well could have been, uh, that averaged more than 8.4 yards per play, 8.5 yards per play, this is the best offense maybe in college football history. It is in terms I, of in, in terms of yardage and yards per play. I mean, I guess scoring wise, it's, it's not. But I mean, scoring can happen and not happen. Scoring so. that doesn't necessarily matter, though. I think I think yards. Well, scoring obviously does matter. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> um, but if we're talking on a per play basis, I mean, if it's if they have the highest per play average, you know, yards per play average, then how can you not say that they're the best? You know, they they gain yards more than you know, better than anyone who's ever played. And so I, I think going in this year too, Lee, they've, they've had big leads in the fourth quarter. It seems like, you know, for the last month and a half or so like that, you know, minus the Oklahoma state game. And they've just kind of sat on the ball. How many times this year have they just iced the game away with like a long seven or eight minute drive? Um, when if the they, Texas tech game comes to mind yeah, where they had like if, that 11 minute drive, yeah. are you, are you telling me in some instances this year, if they, if they wanted to score 60, they couldn't have, they, there's been times this year where if they wanted to score, they could have, and they just decided not to. Um, and I think I saw, I can't remember who exactly it was. It was, um, who was, I think it was Alan Kinney, the a blatant homerism guy who had, who had answered a, a question posed by a college football writer comparing the 2008 OU offense and the 2017. And Kinney said it's 2017 easily. And he brought up that kind of in the BCS era, that, that OU team, that 08 team, they had to run it up. They had to. They had to look good. Um, oh, yeah. And they were, yeah. you know, they were, they were trying to score as much as humanly possible. They scored 60 straight in five straight games in that year, if you remember. Um, I, if, if this OU team wanted to score 60 in, in five straight kind of near the end of the season, I think they probably would have been able to. I, I'm still, I, I still say against TCU in that first game, they could have scored 60 if they wanted to. They, they were moving the ball that easily. So I... This offense is is insane. It's in, I, I'm so excited to watch them against the against that Georgia defense. It's going to be so much fun. And what uh, we will surely bring up again next week in our final podcast before the Rose Bowl. The one aspect of this though that you cannot account for, you cannot predict, is the long layoff. How will that affect it? And that's what always bothers me about college football. Is like I'm excited to watch this Oklahoma offense against against uh, Georgia's defense as well. But it's just like it, by the time they kick off on January 1st, it's almost like a brand new season. It's almost like they just went through like an entire fall camp again, which is so frustrating. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be for the best. Maybe Oklahoma will have prepared a lot better than Georgia prepared and, and they'll look even better. I mean, that would be awesome. Georgia has uh, to but, deal with it, too. And you know what, Lee? Yep. OU has been here. There are a lot of guys on this team who played in that Orange Bowl. I mean, a lot of guys who on this team who played in that Orange Bowl. And I, 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 I typically think something like that's sort of overrated. But was it overrated for Clemson last year when they were in it? I mean, they showed up, um, they they showed up against Ohio State, and that was a really young Ohio State team. Remember, they had a lot of roster turnover. There's a lot of guys who had never been in that position before. Clemson was a very veteran team, and they showed up, and they were calm, collected, efficient, and they ran them out of the stadium. And so yeah. no nobody nobody thinks that Clemson was 31 points better than Ohio State last year. That had a lot to do with poise and having a having a really good senior quarterback and a lot of just and a lot of veteran presence. And I and I I do think as of right now, I mean that's that, that's a big advantage for OE right now. There's guys, you know, who have been there, who have been in this spot before and it 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 doesn't, you know, I I don't forget the fact that 
that George is going to be trotting out a true freshman quarterback. And, and I do think that is significant. All right, Grant, that's all I have as far as uh, Georgia-Mississippi State thoughts. Should I move on to film time with Lee? Move on to film time with Lee, Lee. <laughs> all right, so once again, film time with Lee. I will break down a play from the Oklahoma offense. This well, It doesn't have to be Oklahoma offense, but this time, I mean, last time it was, this time it will be again. And this is a play that I feel like has design concepts and and it, it's a play that I think could work well against a Georgia defense. So, and the reason why, and and, and I, you know, I have this whole thing written up, and just in case I don't have it written into my notes, I'll bring this up. It's from the Bedlam game, and you think, oh well, Oklahoma State's defense is nowhere near like Georgia's, and that's true. There's no there's no doubt about that. But what Oklahoma State was trying to do against Oklahoma in that game was play a lot of that shell coverage where they had a lot of they had three deep safeties, they had a couple corners down low, kind of like what Iowa State would do, and they like to try to do that to try to prevent big plays. And watching Georgia play, and notice Georgia likes to play a lot of cover two, a little bit of cover three, and they'll blitz here and there, but I'd like to think that they're going to run a lot more zone cover two type cover three schemes, which is kind of what Oklahoma State was doing in this play when Baker Mayfield hit Marquise Brown. So here we go. What we see here is Oklahoma State showing that cover four kind of shell look with three safeties and then both cornerbacks playing a cover two look. Rodarius Williams is up tight on Marquise Brown. Oklahoma State at the snap brings two blitzers from both edges. Then they delay a middle linebacker blitz. Now, this is, a, this is significant because Georgia always has four guys rushing the quarterback. They always have four guys going after the quarterback. And frequently in that Mississippi State game and in a little bit in that Missouri game, I saw them send Rokon Williams, their talented linebacker, and also Nate Roquan Patrick. Smith, Lee. Roquan Smith. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, Roquan that's a, Smith. That's a bad omen. You can't get his name wrong. And I, I, I guess I have to go back and watch that Mississippi State game again, Lee, because Roquan Smith has, has stood out in every game I've seen. He's... He is so good. Like I mean, he's he, he's intimidatingly good. So well, continue. Smith, William, I mean, it's very it's a very generic name. I mean, I, I got his first name right. That's his like unique name. So, anyways, so Roquan Smith, and then also Natrez Patrick, who is may or may not play the linebacker because he got arrested. But it looks like right now, I mean, his he's probably will play. I know Kirby Smart was asked about it, and they haven't really decided anything. He is practicing with the team, anyways. Uh, frequently, I saw I saw them send Smith and or Natrez Patrick on a delay blitz. So, and I mentioned this earlier that like, I think if the running back would stay in, that's when those guys would come. So, that's why this play by Oklahoma State's defense was kind of similar to something I, I saw from Georgia's defense. So, at the snap, you can tell that Baker Mayfield wants to throw it to Brown all the way because the idea is to get him the football in space, and it ends up working out. And here's why it works out because Mark Andrews is split out wide in the slot with Marquise Brown. At the snap, Andrews runs a go route, more like kind of like a fade route deep towards the sidelines. Andrews takes away the deep third safety's attention. Now to Marquise Brown. Brown takes a step forward, then stops, looks back for the ball like he's going to look for the quick hitter. This makes the corner, Rodarius Williams, stop in his tracks and... I think, yeah, Rodarius. See, here's, here's what it was. I had Rodarius Williams and Roquan Smith mixed up. I had, in my notes, I had Rodarius Smith and 
Roquan Williams. That's what I, it was. I just really hate you giving bulletin board material to Georgia because you you know there's how am I giving them bulletin board material? You, you, you know there's Georgia plants that are just looking out everywhere, and you know this is a this is a nationally renowned podcast. Everyone's you you couldn't even get the best defensive player's name you know in, in the country. You couldn't even get his name right. I, that's bulletin board. I got material. Rodarius Williams and Roquan Smith mixed up. I think that's he's gonna. I think I should get. A, you know, that's fair. On on the field at the Rose Bowl on, on New Year's names Day, start with Roe. Roquan Smith's gonna say, "Man, it's for Lee Benson, man." That's what he's gonna say. <laughs> oh my god! If he's the reason he gets like twenty tackles and three sacks and a pick, and it's my fault, then I'll I guess I'll own it for getting him mixed up with Rodarius Williams from Oklahoma State. Just saying. <sighs> so here we go. By the way, Rodarius Williams. Back to that play after Marquise Brown steps forward, stops like he's going to catch the ball for a quick hitter. This makes Williams stop in his tracks. And right as Williams is deciding if he wants to close in on Brown and get a hit on him, Brown then accelerates into a slant route across the middle of the field. But hold up. Let's take a step back. Remember, Mark Andrews is running that go route towards the sidelines, grabbing the deep third safety's attention. Well, the deep middle third safety should be in the picture to come up and at the very least, tackle Marquise Brown for at best maybe a 10-yard gain if Brown's able to make the catch across the middle. But that deep middle third safety is nowhere to be found in the middle of the field because when Brown stopped and looked for the ball like he was going to catch that quick hitter, the Oklahoma State safety saw Brown do that, which instinctually he thought Brown was running a short route and stopping there. Therefore, he saw Mark Andrews running deep, and decided that in that split second, he was going to go and help out the other deep third safety with Mark Andrews. So both deep deep safeties have cleared out, and they've cleared out all because of Mark Andrews. That means there's tons of green grass for Marquise Brown. So when Mayfield hits Brown on that slant over the middle, it becomes a foot race that Marquise Brown usually wins. 84 yards, touchdown. Now, I'm not sure if Marquise Brown's going to be able to split George's defensive backs and go 80 yards in a play like that, but it's possible. Marquise, it's Brown, possible. Marquise Brown will be the fastest player on the field. So, yes, it's possible. He can absolutely do that. Uh, Either Mar- way, that, that kind of play design would surely result in a big chunk play for Oklahoma against Georgia. I've, I, I've, I've said it for the last month. I'll say it again. This OU offense is so ridiculous. Marquise Brown is literally DeAnthony Thomas. And he's he's the fourth or fifth option on the offense, so that that's that's how deep this offense is, and and that's the weapons that that they present. It's just I, I can't imagine Kirby Smart's having a lot of fun game planning for this at all. I have one last thought before we move on to our bowl game picks of the week, and you may have had this thought too at some point when you're watching Georgia and then watching OU. You know, I've watched a lot of Georgia, and again, it's mostly those 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 two games but like I watch those games very in depth like I'm watching them closely I'm like rewinding I'm going back I'm looking at the alignment I mean I don't want to miss anything so that's why it's taking me a while to get through just two games I watch that defense and I get you know especially the first three series against Mississippi State and I think oh man I mean that defense is really good but then when I went on to watch Oklahoma I, I went I went back to the TCU game from the Big 12 title game because I was trying to find a play where the defensive alignment was similar to Georgia's that I could break down and just and, and describe how, how it was effective against that defense and how it could be effective against Georgia's defense. So I went through that TCU game, couldn't really find what I was looking for, went back to Bedlam because I remembered, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense, is, they use a lot of zone, a lot of cover two, cover three, if I remember correctly, and found it. When I went through those games and watched Oklahoma's offense, Grant, 
I immediately then I start thinking positive thoughts again because I then I remember, oh yeah, I mean <laughs> this offense is is so good. I mean they're doing things that are so high concept, so high level. It's not just basic. Oh, there's Mark Andrews running a slant route. There's Baker Mayfield hitting him for a touch. No, it's like they'll send a guy in motion. They'll run Marquise Brown like he's going to run a stop route and then run him across the middle of the field. They'll run Michael Jones like he's going to run a little bit of out route against a, a defensive end who's playing in coverage. Then he'll run back to the middle of the field and Baker Mayfield will hit him across the middle for 70 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's just it's a lot of option type routes, a lot of routes that aren't really on the route tree, if you will. And then I see that from the Oklahoma's offense, and then I start to feel a lot better again after watching the Georgia defense. And then even if Georgia does account for all of those things that you just said, Baker Mayfield and Mark Andrews and CeeDee Lamb just might beat you with pure talent, just with a great play. You know what I mean? So it's because this... Well, they're going to have to do that. They're because, certainly going to have to make because, some great plays. Because this OU offense can do that better than anyone in the country, too. So... That's where it gets fun, and I think it's it, it's a strength on strength, and it's it's going to be really cool. Um, I can't wait. I've already told everyone I'm going to be there. I've got got my tickets. I got airfare. I got Airbnb. It's all set. I will be there on New Year's Day. Um, could not be more excited. Maybe the most excited I've ever been in my life for anything. <laughs> I'm serious. Except for whenever we announced this podcast was going to be a thing, obviously. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. All right, let's move on to the bowl game picks. And, you know, bowl season begins, and college football games become incre- like incredibly difficult to predict all of a sudden. Last week, Grant, you were one and four. One and four you were. Yeah, it was, I was bad two week. And three. Bad week. It was a really bad week. I, I mean, I, I was watching them, and it just, everything went, I mean, I, who knows? I, I don't, you never know who's going to show up in those games. I should have stuck with my guns. I originally was going to pick uh was going to pick Boise State over Oregon and I just I felt like a fool cuz Oregon looked awful. They looked so bad. Awful. They're they're a How bad, much did you hear like, about their quarterback yeah. about how important their quarterback was Herbert about how he's like worth like you know two touchdowns and they're so much better. He looked awful. The the entire offense was awful. They I mean they should have only scored what maybe one or two touchdowns. They had two ridiculous defensive touchdowns <laughs> that should have probably never even happened or else they would have been beaten by even more. So yeah, that's that's the one I'm probably most upset about. Those other ones, you know, between the mid majors, those are kind of those are kind of crapshoots. Those are those are just flip a coin for those. But I mean, Oregon just they didn't they didn't even show up. They didn't even look prepared to play. You know, I figured maybe they'd be really excited to play after they they lobbied for you know Mario Cristobal to be hired. But I, don't know, I guess he didn't do a very good job of getting them ready to play. Uh, Oregon looked awful in that game. Yeah, Boise State. Uh, I mean, how close did you watch it? Did you see Boise State try to run the Statue of Liberty play? Yeah, and it was just a And then they failure. fumbled it, and Oregon returned it for a touchdown. See, I actually, you know, I actually like that stuff. It's a bowl game. It's the Las Vegas Bowl. Have fun. I mean, at least make it, at least make stuff interesting. And I saw they had the weird formations where they had the receivers doing pirouettes and stuff like that. I mean, whatever. At least it's a fun thing to put on Twitter. I, I like that stuff. It's a bowl game. I mean, how else would you remember the Las Vegas Bowl? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes the players more excited to play. So I was two and three, and I got to go ahead and even though I was under 500, I told you Georgia State was going to win, man. I had I told you Georgia State was going to win. Yeah, you, yeah, man, sorry. You just, you clearly had the feel of that game, and I didn't. So good on you. <laughs> so one, one note before we get to the picks here we're recording this Tuesday night. As we're recording this, the, I grant you, you got to say the bowl name. I never know what the bowl name is called. What's it called? It is That's currently going on right now. There's currently 
there's currently one minute and 17 seconds remaining in the first half of the Sherabundi Cherry Tart Boca Raton Bowl. Sherabundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. What did I say? You, you, mixed, you mixed up cherry and tart. So, yeah, so that game is still going on, so we're not going to count that game as far as... Um, that, that, that's why there's only five games. Our record was... Uh, I mean, add one more win, because Florida Atlantic's going to win this game. We both picked Florida Atlantic. But uh, we will add the Florida Atlantic most likely win onto next week's podcast for picks. Anyway, so that game is not accounted for because we're recording on Tuesday night, even though it's on Tuesday and this podcast comes out Wednesday. So to the picks and plenty of games to pick from this week. How many do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks, Grant. Let's do it. First one, Wednesday, the DXL Frisco Bowl between Louisiana Tech and SMU. We're picking straight up. Who's going to win? I'll start. I'll go with La Tech to knock off SMU. I'm also going to go with La Tech. SMU lost their head coach. Um, I'll, I'll just go with the, you know, the team that actually has a head coach. I think that's fair. And you know, I, I wish I could say that I could have some thoughts on a lot of these games, but I, you know, with all the, the watching Georgia and preparing, preparing OU and whatnot, I just have not had a whole lot of time to research players and you know a lot of these kind of mid-major teams so i read a couple things about Louisiana tech that i like so i'll take la tech to win that game next one up is the bad boy mowers gasparilla bowl that's on awesome. thursday <laughs> it's between temple who is a seven point favorite against florida international and that game is being played at st petersburg florida so it's in the state of florida Temple, a seven-point favorite, traveling all the way from the north. Let's see, who did I who did I have for this one? I, I'm taking Temple. I'm, I'm taking the favorite to win. Lee, I'm going to take Florida International. Um, S and P actually favors Florida International, and they're the underdog. So in, in situations like that, I'm, I'm typically going to go with the underdog. They might feel a little disrespected, even though I doubt it. It's it's the Gasparilla Bowl. But anywho, just just what to be they, different. What does that even mean? Gasparilla Bowl. Okay. I don't know. I always think of sarsaparilla, right? Which is like, which is like root beer, basically. I was thinking of gorillas. Oh well. Anyway, like the animal. Yeah. I think I think FIU is going to win. All right. So there's one game Wednesday, one game Thursday. Now there's two games on Friday this week, starting with the Bahamas Bowl at 11:30 a.m. between UAB and Ohio. Ohio seven and a half point favorites in this one, and. Based on my research at this time, I am taking UAB. Excited to be back as a program. Excited to be in a bowl game. I'm taking. Uh, I can't even think of what UAB's mascot is. They're right the Blazers. Now, Come on, the Blazers. The Blazers. Um, I'll, I'll take. I'll take Alabama, Birmingham. I'll take Ohio. Um, I actually, I actually know you know a little about Ohio. I've sort of. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to, and they talk about Ohio for whatever reason. I don't know why. Uh, they they, they kind of had a dominant streak at a, at a point in time, you know, this year, kind of in November, and then the last few games they sort of they sort of fell off. Um, I like them to you know maybe just kind of overwhelm UAB a little bit. UAB is a is a team that was pretty fortunate to win some games this year. Although it's great, uh, you know, obviously they disbanded their program, and this is their first year back. It's pretty awesome. They get to go to the Bahamas. And uh, I think this is the third year of the Bahamas Bowl. It kind of seems like it's always crazy. I think the very first year of the Bahamas Bowl, they had that insane finish where there was like six laterals or something like that. Yeah, I, that was awesome. It was pretty awesome. But anywho, I will take Ohio, the big, the, the best party city in the country, Athens, Ohio. <laughs> I've heard Frank Solich is a pretty bad bowl coach. So I don't we'll really, I that... don't really know what, if that means anything though. You know, 
I mean, when you're like, I think you, I think I heard his record in bowl games is like four and nine or something. Mm. That sucks. But yeah, I mean, who knows if that means anything when you're playing in the Bahamas Bowl. The other Friday game is the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, which of course is always in Boise, Idaho. This is a three o'clock kick on a Friday, so I guess uh, you know most people taking Friday off apparently to watch uh, some football. Anyways, that's between Central Michigan and Wyoming. And uh, this is interesting just because Josh Allen's playing. And I remember going into this season, Grant, I wanted to watch as much college football as possible. I wanted to watch all the the possible NFL quarterbacks. And I thought I got to watch a lot of Josh Allen. I have not seen Josh Allen take one snap this year. Turns out I I was going to do it. I just kind of lost interest. I've heard he's had a pretty bad year. I don't know if you've seen him play at all this year. But um, anyways, I guess we got to pick a winner. I'm going to take Central Michigan. I think Central Michigan is going to beat Wyoming and Josh Allen. I think there's question about whether or not he's even going to play in this game because he was hurt the last couple games for Wyoming. Um, you know, I, I typically, I, I generally pick against the MAC. Uh, typically, I mean, of course, I just picked a MAC team in the the previous bowl, um, so I, I can't I can't do that again. So I'm going to take Wyoming. Um, I, I assume Josh Allen will play, and you know, I, I have watched him a little bit. I watched him earlier this year when they played Iowa. Um, he was not impressive. Um, but I, I'm not sure how much of that has to do with him or how much to do with his surrounding cast. So um, I'll, I'll take Wyoming. I think Craig Bull is a good coach for Wyoming. Now on to Saturday, and the first game of the day on Saturday is 11 a.m. kick, and we have the our first Big 12 team playing in bowl season. And um, it's in the Birmingham Bowl, which of course is in Birmingham, Alabama, between Texas Tech and South Florida. South Florida, two-and-a-half-point favorite over Texas Tech. And it's did uh did Cliff, is Cliff Kingsbury still the coach there? Did I imagine? Did he get fired? You ima- I just you, that? you definitely imagined that he is certainly still there. <laughs> Man, Texas Tech has looked so bad the last month, and they were really good the first month and a half of the year too. Yeah, and they were really good in the first quarter against Oklahoma, and a lot of Oklahoma playing poorly. It's just you know South Florida's had such a good season under Charlie Strong and. That was such a crazy game that they played against Central Florida. That man, I, I this this honestly might might be a perfect case of who wants to be there more. I feel like Texas Tech really wants to be there. I feel like they're probably pretty happy to be there. They they had to beat Texas to win it. They seem to I you know who knows if they're playing for Cliff. You know they want to they you know want to make sure that he keeps his job. I don't know. I, I've I'm sort of tempted to take Texas Tech in this game, but I I just. I think South Florida is a better team, but this is one of those things where I just I don't know motivation factor. So I'll err on the side of caution. I'll take South Florida, but this will be my this will be my my almost upset that I <laughs> that I don't have the balls to to call. Yeah, I'm gonna take South Florida as well. I just don't trust Texas Tech. Uh, it just it's impossible to trust Tech. I mean, they certainly can win the game, and I mean honestly, Texas Tech should be able to beat South Florida. I, I, they should, even even in a down year. I, I know just South Florida doesn't do a whole lot for me. I've watched them play a couple times this year. And I, I'm just not all that impressed by them, but I'm not. I'm even less impressed with Texas Tech the way they're playing right now. Even though I guess it is interesting that you know beating Texas the way they did to get bowl eligible. I guess was uh, that was a good point you made about how they might be really excited to be there playing. So either way, though, we'll both take South Florida. So we have three more games left. All th- uh, two on Saturday, one on Sunday. Next Saturday game is the Armed Forces Bowl, and that's in Fort Worth. That's where uh, they play it, where TCU's play, where TCU plays this year. They're playing it. At, uh, it's between San Diego State and Army. 
And San Diego State is a six and a half point favorite in this game. And let's see, have I picked this game yet? Let's see. I'm going to take San Diego State to knock off Army, even though I should probably think twice about that because I had Navy beaten Army against in that, uh, you know, in the Army Navy game and Army won. So I've already been burned once by Army, but uh, I'm going to go against them again. Maybe a bad idea, but I'm going to go with the Aztecs. I'm going to go with Army because why not? I, I, I really, I, I just, I don't know. It's the Armed Forces Bowl. Let's go with Army. Why not? <laughs> That's uh, solid logic. Well, it's just, it's, it's bowl season. I have no idea. I didn't, I didn't pick any of those other games right, except for the first one. So, I mean, none of these are, are you know, you know, slam dunks. So, yeah, yeah. true. Last Saturday game, 6 o'clock, the Dollar General Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Between Appalachian State, Appalachian State, and Toledo. How about this Toledo seven and a half point favorites in this game? I think Toledo's pretty good. Toledo's they're able to score a lot of points. Man, it's a lot of points to lay though, but we're pay, we're doing straight up. Oh boy. App State. I this is one game I haven't looked too far into. All those other games I kind of did a little more research on. I hadn't looked into this one that closely yet. I, I'm gonna go with Appalachian State. I'm going to take them to beat Toledo. I'll go with Toledo. I know that's a veteran team. Logan Woodside is is a good mid-major quarterback. Um, you know, I, I I I generally like teams that that can complete forward passes with with regularity. So I will take Toledo. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm regretting it too because that's Toledo coming from Ohio down to like better weather in Mobile. They're going to be excited to be in kind of warmer weather most likely. Eh. Oh well, final game. A Christmas Eve staple, the Hawaii Bowl, on Sunday at 7.30. Fresno State and Houston, actually not a bad matchup. Not a bad matchup at all. That's an interesting Hawaii Bowl, Fresno State and Houston. I guess Hawaii must not have been bowl eligible this year. Well, so, no, uh, they're not. I think they're terrible, actually. <laughs> Man, is uh, who's playing quarterback for Houston these days? Do you have any it's, idea? It's the one guy. It's the guy, it's the guy who used to be at A&M. Is it Kyle Allen? Is it's still Kyle Allen. Quarterback? Yeah. Did he get, I thought he got benched. I, I think like it's still Kyle Allen. Pretty sure it's still Kyle Allen. Kyle Potsma. Is Kyle Potsma still playing? Kyle Potsma. That sounds, that's a familiar name. Yeah. He, uh, he, Kyle Allen got benched earlier in the year. Let's see if, let's see if, uh, Potsma's regained his job. This is just riveting radio. It's not a radio. Yeah, I don't think Kyle Allen's playing. He's only thrown for 751 yards this year. Yeah, he hasn't he he hasn't played. Yeah, he's only thrown one pass since September 23rd. So I was wrong. It's not Kyle Allen. It's the other guy. So yeah, uh, I mean that's I I whiffed on Kyle Allen. I thought he'd be a lot better going from A and M to Houston, getting out of that. It just was kind of a toxic environment while he was in College Station, kind of going along with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, I mean, we'll see if he can flourish next year you know, with Oklahoma, but he's done pretty well so far. Anyways, um, man, I, in the Hawaii Bowl, I mean, who's going to be more excited to be in Hawaii? You know, first-year head coach for Houston, couldn't tell you his name. I'm going to go with Houston to win. <laughs> you don't know who you, It's Major Applewhite. Oh, Major Applewhite got that job? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Fresno State. Was he their coordinator before? Yes, he was their coordinator. He was their offensive coordinator? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with Fresno State. They've had a good year. Um, Houston's kind of had a disappointed year. Um, I'll, I'll go with the team that might just be a little more excited to be there. It seems like Houston's just kind of gone through the motions this year. I mean, they lost at home to Texas tech. I, 
I, I feel that like was early in the year. That was like September. But, I know. Yeah. I feel like that that probably just kind of set the the tone for their season of just being kind of meh, if that makes sense. All right. All right. Good show this week, Grant. We're back to our normal schedule next week, which means our next episode is on Christmas Day, which is next Monday. Then we'll be back on Thursday of next week with one final tune-up for OU Georgia and the Rose Bowl. How about that? We only have two more episodes before the Rose Bowl. It's getting closer. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.